Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for co-op news, reviews, and playthroughs. I'm Peter, and today we're reviewing Tales from the Red Dragon Inn. What's up, Mike? How you doing, Peter? Excited for this one. One of my I favorite am. games of the year. Spoiler alert, dude. We haven't even like said hello yet. You're like spoiling the review. What's going on here? My my video review's been out for a while. People have seen it. A while? <laughs> Look at you. Oh, well, why are we even here then, Mike? <laughs> We're here to expound on my points and, and add your points, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Just got back from vacation, so I'm a little out of sorts. So sorry for the little bit late start that we got here today. Uh, that was all on me. I was still trying to get through uh, one of the scenarios and get my thoughts together. So uh figured it was better to have a better review than to rush the review. Yeah, I've been a little busy too. I was at the Level Up Retreat, Level Up Events Retreat. I did a video on that, uh, playing a bunch of games. And then my family and, and I went on a, a week-long vacation immediately afterwards, uh, going to one spot and then traveling to a totally different state. <laughs> and then uh, Gen Con's coming up in a week, so yeah, it's yes. been a lot. Yeah, and that'll be the next podcast you and I do together. We might have Jerry on that one, too. Just talking about what we see, what we play at Gen Con. Hopefully a lot of talk about Flame and Fang. That'll be the next game Mike and I put out under our own brand. So the first game under our own brand, MVP Board Games. And uh, yeah, so that'll be coming to Kickstarter hopefully within a couple months, but I've been putting together prototypes for that. So we have three physical prototypes. There will definitely be some changes because, you know, as you get a physical prototype with all the components, you're like, oh, that should be bigger. That should be smaller. (laughs) (laughs) That kind of stuff. So there will be changes for the final version, but we will have a very, very playable and very close to final production copy a couple of copies actually with us at Gen Con. So uh, yeah, if you would like to learn more about it or if you'd like to play it, come join our Discord and just join the Gen Con chat over there and try to schedule a time to meet up with us. Yeah, because I think we're already planning a big meetup at Gen Con Friday night or Saturday night. Just kind of get all the Discord people who are there together and play things. And certainly Flame and Fang should be one of them. Uh, Yeah, we're really excited about it. Uh, There's a solo and cooperative campaign like small campaign adventure game with a lot of fun deck building and we're proud of it it's it's, it's one of those games uh, peter and i are always happy when our designs do this because it's not always the case it's one of those games where like even when we're doing the really dry play testing and like balance testing stuff and like reading through cards over and over again the the terrible part of deck uh, or game design and development uh, the game's still fun, so that's always a good sign that uh, we enjoy it every time we play, even though it's uh, been so many plays at this point. Yes. Uh, we got Matthew Rose in the chat, by the way, and we also have Sailor Jerry. So Matthew asks, oh, I thought it was being sold there. It's only demo. Yeah, no, we're not going to sell it. I mean, the plan right now is for it's probably not going to be in retail ever. Um, it'll just be a Kickstarter game. Now we'll see what happens. I mean, we're very proud of it. We hope it does well enough that a publisher besides us will want to take it to retail. We have some partners that we could potentially work with, but the plan right now is for it just to be a Kickstarter game, but we'll have it there to show off. And then hopefully again, by September, it'll be on Kickstarter is the goal. Now, wait, sorry. So to be clear, cause I'm seeing Matthew's earlier comment. 
Tales from the Red Dragon in the game we're reviewing today, <laughs> which is not our design. That one uh, should be coming to retail soonish. I don't know exactly when. I think they just sent an email out that said they'd finished fulfilling the game. Oh, okay. I think everyone who bought it in Kickstarter has gotten it like as of today. But yeah, sorry. Peter and I were talking, uh, Matthew, about our own design that we are. It is our the first game we are publishing called Flame and Fang. Totally different from Tales from the Red Dragon Inn. Tales from the Red Dragon Inn, definitely coming to retail soon. Yes. And you probably can buy it at Gen Con, and you definitely should. <laughs> sorry for the confusion. Man, you just keep spoiling our, our your at least your review. I, I haven't told my thoughts yet on Tales from Red Dragon Inn. But we, we will definitely get to the review review part and at least tell you why Mike thinks you should buy it and why I may or may not agree with him. Matt said I mean, he was so confused. Thanks for clearing that up. I'd like to get demo your game, too. Yes. Yeah, we will, no, we, we'd love to. Yeah, we will not be demoing Tales from the Red Dragon Inn. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that is some, that is Slugfest job, right? Is that the name of the company? Slugfest Games. Yeah, Slugfest Games. All right. So tell me about your level up retreat. Anything you play there that stands out? Yeah, I mean, I'll only talk through that briefly because I've actually played a bunch of games since then with my family, like on the vacation. I did a whole video on it. I played Witcher again. It was great. Still only played competitive. I've been waiting until they send a review copy of an expansion to play it solo, and I think they're they're doing that. So which, What's crossed. that called? Witcher what? The Old World. The Old World. Witcher The Old World, I think. Other ones, I played City of the Great Machine, which I just did a playthrough of on the main channel today, and that's really fun. Like, I really was impressed by that. It's it's a one-versus-many game that has a solo co-op mode, and the solo co-op huh. mode is great. Like, no tacked-on feeling at all. Like, if that was just the entire game, I would have no idea that there was an is entirely different game? way to play it. That sounds very Euro to me. No, no, no. It's, um... <laughs> It's kind of like hidden movement, pandemic, not really pandemic-ish. It's cool. Well, I'll definitely uh, play it with you like next time we get together. I think you'll like it. All right. I also played Masters of the Night, which is an older, well, not older, like two years old Ares co-op game where you're vampires. I, I like that one. I'm going to try to record that maybe tonight after the podcast. We'll see how it goes. That may be our next review because I love vampires. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's cool. Um, it might be a little too hard. That's one thing I got to check. <laughs> like I might need to put sure. it, uh, scale back the difficulty setting. Yep. What else stood out at the level up retreat? Well, here, I'll talk about a few that I played after that. Yeah. Talk about um, the ones you're most interested in. Yeah. Well, so the big one is uh, my 10-year-old my continues to be awesome to game with. So the crew, I taught him how trick-taking oh. games work. And I started playing the crew with him. We're about 20 missions in now. Is over the course of like, oh, you know, the whole week we were on vacation, like just playing every once in a while. That's awesome. So the regular crew or Mission Deep Sea? This this is the regular crew, although I, I don't own Deep Sea. I, I've just played your all's copy or played it on BGA right. or Game Arena. But I think I'm going to buy it now. because Well, yeah, it sounds like you should. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm, I'm realizing how much more I like. Like, I, I hadn't played the two of them back to back very f recently, but I did play Deep Sea recently and then playing the original crew. I'm like, oh, yeah, they, they, these these tasks get a little bit dull. Deep Sea has a lot more stuff going on. Yes, uh, for, be yeah. for better and for worse. I think well, yes, teaching... no, you're not. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I'm, I'm not getting rid of the crew. I, I'm not calling the original. I just would also like to own Deep Sea. But yeah, it was cool, man. Like he's never done a trick taker before, but he caught onto it pretty quick. I mean, he's he's super smart. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he's been I've been playing games with him for like six years now, so he tends to get a lot of stuff. But yeah, you know, I I remember you and I criticized rightfully the two player variant a bit. Like it's definitely not the best way to play, right? But it's pretty good. Yeah, like, no, no, no. I think it's very good. <laughs> yeah. So no, like it's it's been fun. 
So I've been playing a lot of that. And the only other one I'll mention quickly, because I already mentioned City of the Great Machine. I've been playing a bunch of previews. And dude, I just got so many games. <laughs> like, there's so many coming right now because it's leading up to Gen Con. So all these publishers are trying to like get their stuff out right now. Right. So I just have way too much of my pile. But I've been playing Race to the Raft, which I did learn at uh, the Level Up Retreat. Okay. That's the follow-up to Isle of Cats. Where oh, okay. It's a co-op uh, game. Yep. And it's cool. It's like limited communication. But basically, you're putting down tiles on like this board to create paths of given colors. So it's polyomino-ish in a way. Yep. That will lead the cat to the raft where they can escape. But after you place each tile down, you also have to draw from a bag. And that's like a real polyomino, like a real Tetris-style piece. Okay. And that's fire. And you got to put that down on the board next to other fire. So you're like ruining the island and cutting off paths for your cats at the same time that you're moving the cats. So far, it's very fun. I've only played like the tutorial uh, scenarios, but I've, I've really enjoyed it. I'm but I'm not there. I'm trying to look for that game. Pompeii, I think it is. Um, yeah, it's 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 it is a little bit like cooperative Pompeii, Escape from Pompeii. That, that that's a good uh, that's a good pool. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, just just the lava part sounds like it. Certainly not how you move in that game is very yeah, yeah, yeah. different. I mean, yes, it, but but it's cool. I mean, I like it. I I like Isle of Cats. This is not at all like Isle of Cats, but it's also a little bit like Isle of Cats, and <laughs> it's good so far. Well, I like polyominoes, and I like limited communication game so it sounds like it'll be a little bit up my alley at least yeah by the way uh mike in the chat mike james said city of the great machines is fantastic been singing its praises for a while glad it's finally getting traction what's funny is like i've had my review copy for i think i got review copies of all the games i've mentioned so just to put that out there try to be transparent with everything but i think i got my copy of it like three months ago and then it was in the in the back of the queue for a while (laughs) i mean come on you had Tales from Red Dragon Inn, yet Genshin Taro, which is pretty amazing, even though you and I probably won't review it. We both like that one. What else came out just recently? I feel like there was like one or two more that were really good, too. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it's been a ton of awesome games. But yeah, what's funny with City of the Great Machine is my playthrough dropped today. And I think yesterday, no pun in, uh, no pun included, did a review of it. And I think really liked it, too. So I think it's going to get not because of us, more because of them, to be clear. <laughs> They're certainly a lot bigger than us. But I think it's going to get a lot more uh, attention very soon, which is good. So I think it's an excellent game. That's awesome. I haven't really played anything at all, so we don't need to okay. talk about uh, my plays. Uh, you you have uh, you've covered more games than I have looked at in the last like I don't know three months. <laughs> Genshin Terra is yeah. the only other one I played, and that one was great. And I played it again with my daughter, and she loved it. She's a big. Oh, she did. Yeah, I was. I was going to ask how she uh, felt about it since she's the big Genshin Impact fan. Yeah, she loved it. We, but then we left to go on vacation. So, like, literally, we played zero games on vacation. Now we can still. Sorry, this is uh, for everyone on the stream. Uh, we can still like include Genshin Taro in our end of the year list, right? Of course. Even Jason did a podcast on it instead of us because we both like it a lot. And we both played it clearly. I mean, it's going to be better than ha- at least half the games that we played this year. So, oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, it's definitely very and this has quickly been a shot good up year. to my... Oh, it has been a good year. Like, that's the thing. Like, I... <laughs> the fact that Genshin Terra is easily in my top 10 for the year already does speaks to its quality, not to it being a bad year. <laughs> All right. So uh, if you're not going to share any more games, Peter, let me quickly thank some of our patrons. We have a Patreon, well, hold on. everybody. Hold oh. on. Before we get to Patreon, we got Zimbo5521 oh. that said, so is... Red Dragon Inn. Tales from the Red Dragon Inn. Ah, T-S-T-R-D-I. <laughs> the best dungeon crawl of all time? Question mark? 
Or is it still Warhammer Quest 1995? We will answer that question at the end of the review. So I mean, I can tell you now, I've played a lot of Warhammer Quest 1995. That's not definitely great. not my favorite crawler <laughs> by, by today's standards. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against you, Jimbo. You like what you like. I, that, I love that game back in the day. Uh, but yeah, that's not mine. <laughs> Whether or not Tales from the Red Dragon is my favorite, Warhammer Quest is definitely not my favorite. <laughs> nice. Nice. Speaking of Warhammer Quest, oh my gosh, other stuff is coming. I, I just got the prototype in for Dragon Bond Quest, which is the third iteration, third time's the charm, of the Sadler Brothers. This is where the Warhammer Quest comes in. Heroes of Terranoth slash Warhammer Quest adventure card game system. This is a new one from a new company, not Fantasy Flight this time, uh, that's coming to crowdfunding soon. So I have that. I uh, just got Unbreakable. For Did they do it? Because I know they were trying to have us do it. Did they, they do they it? They wanted us to help with development. Yeah. Did, uh, did disclosure, they do it the Sandler brothers are friends of ours. So I, I don't know what they've done yet. All, all it is right now is a prototype of like one mission. So clearly the development hasn't been completed yet. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on with it. But no, right now we're not doing it. Um, we did not accept that uh, offer. <laughs> so, but anyway, yeah. uh, that, that was a non sequitur. Uh, let's get back to now patrons. patrons yeah. Now. Let's do Patreon. Peter cut me off. Now everything is everything is backwards, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do anymore. We have a Patreon, one uh, patreon.com slash one stop, because we can't think of creative names. Um, <laughs> and it is uh, <laughs> it's a way to share your support. It helps us uh, buy games, run contests. Like uh, we had some contests on the streaming channel, uh, Shelf Life every month that comes out of Patreon, uh, paying to like send those to the winners. It pays for our podcast hosting fees. It pays for all the music and sound effects we use in our videos. <laughs> pays for a lot of stuff, so it helps us out a ton. And uh, if you get the Patreon, you get uh, Patreon, you get some cool perks. You get early access to the main channel videos and exclusive videos two a month that you can't see anywhere else. At this point, we've got over 40 videos that you have never seen before if you're not a patron <laughs> that are just waiting for you. And cool ones like top 10 lists and extra conversations and all kinds of stuff. I'm about to do one all about the ethics of board game reviewing and, uh, you know, kind of commenting on like the Quackalope situation and other fun things that have been on my mind recently. So yeah, uh, feel free to join up if you want to do that. Uh, and I want to thank some of our patrons this week. I'm going to thank Mike BB, Chick Bowdry, Pratik Multani, Roland H, and Vicky L. Mike, Chick, Pratik, Roland, and Vicky, thank you all for your support. And, you know, if the Patreon is not in your budget right now because we know times are tough, subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the streaming channel, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review for the podcast on Apple and such. It helps a lot. It gets a lot more attention for us. So leave a comment on a video, <laughs> you know, anything to kind of get the, uh, the the metrics working for us. Yeah. Uh, thank like, you, everybody, like, for your support. Subscribe, all that stuff. That I mean, that's why people always say that in videos, because it really does help. I mean, it's it's it doesn't hurt you to hit a little thumb button. And it helps us quite a bit. It doesn't mm -hmm. hurt you to subscribe. I mean, yeah, if you're oversubscribed to stuff, maybe. But, like, it definitely helps a lot. And people don't realize how much. Just by clicking a couple buttons, you are helping out. So we definitely appreciate for anybody who's done that in the past and for everybody who does that going forward in the future. So we got a couple more comments about Dungeon Crawls. And, again, I think we get to them at the end, right? What do you think? Well, let's maybe we can respond to them right now because we'll never remember otherwise. All right, so Matthew Rose says, I heard Chronicles of Drunagor is being sold at Gen Con or even early purchase. Heavy price, but I'm worried that this is my last chance. Also, I have Hero Quest event at Gen Con. Where's your demo? 
Hero Quest. I can answer that one very quickly. Uh, Hero Quest is great. I, I used to. That was one of my first. I still have a thing of copy somewhere. Uh, but that's uh, only one versus many, so we're never going to cover it on the one-stop co-op shop. There's no solo or co-op mode that I'm aware of for Hero Quest, since it is kind of ported over the new stuff. Although Peter, did you used to play Hero Quest, Peter? I don't think I've ever played that game. I think oh, Jerry. Wow. I mean, bought it too recently. Yeah. Yeah, well, and now Jerry, I think Jerry's probably excited. Yeah, we should try it once, Peter. It's 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 fun for its time, you know. It's still a fun game, but yeah, they they announced that they're doing the first new expansion in whatever like thirty years because <laughs> they had two expansions. Actually, there was a third expansion that I ever got, but they had two expansion expansions like Kellar's Keep and uh, what is it like Wrath of the Lich Lord or something. And then they had like a troll expansion that was harder to find and I'd ever played. It is the fourth expansion, the long fabled fourth expansion, and it's coming out like forty or thirty five years after the game came out. Uh, but yeah, so Matthew, we can't cover Hero Quest, uh, Chronicle of Drunagor. I know Colin enjoyed this some videos of that, and then Zimbo mentioned Dun. I'm not sure if you mean Dungeon Universalis Zimbo, but if you do, Barent has a video of that on the channel. I have not played it. I think he thought it was good. I don't think he said it was like his favorite dungeon crawler, but. He enjoyed it, I'm pretty sure. Uh, if, if that's the one you mean. I don't know what D-U-N means. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what D-U-N is either. Uh, yeah, so I'm sorry. I was distracted. My son came by. Chronicles of Drunagor. Is that the one with the, like, little trays where you put, like, doors? Like, yeah. Cards doors yeah, it's got, in? like, doors, and then, like, something happens with the door, and you, like, scan the door. Didn't you look? Like, you were really... I was super Peter, excited to try Oh, my it. gosh. Peter was so... Y'all just have to, like, understand the excitement. Peter's, like, texting me. He's calling me. He's like, hey, this Chronicles of Drunagor. Should I back this Chronicles? Of, like he wanted, he really wanted me to justify him spending hundreds of dollars on this game. I'm like, dude, I don't know. Colin said it was pretty good. Like, I feel like we got other games to play, and I guess I talked you out of it, right, Peter? Yeah. Well, you and and uh, Barrett, honestly, Barrett's like was so pissed off at the luck of the game. Like, apparently, every combat's just rolling d10s, which is funny because he is the biggest proponent of Kingdom Death Monster ever. But he's like, yeah, but that's like d20s or whatever. I'm like. All right, dude. Like, like, I don't know. That I see much of a difference between a D10 and a D20. Obviously, like, there's a little more. I mean, clearly, something else is going on. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, I think I think Barrett is less focused on like mechanical things than we are, and more focused on the experience. Right. He's having fun with KDM and not having fun with Drunagor, but they both have like really random dice rolls. Something else is behind it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. But the thing that excited me most about most about Drunagor was the components themselves. Like you have these little trays that are the dungeons yeah. and it was several levels and you like kind of put them together in this neat way. I, I don't know. It looked neat to me. I was super excited to play it because of the physicality of it, but I've, I've still not played it. Actually, I should ask Colin to play it when I was over visiting him. Maybe I'll see if yeah. anybody has it at Gen Con. Maybe I'll try to get a demo or whatever else. Uh, because the physicality of Drunagor looks really cool. Yeah. So Zimbo and Matthew Rose clarified D-U-N is Dungeon Universalis. Yeah, that's what I figured. I don't know anything about that game. Yeah, again, Baron's done a playthrough. And then they also asked about Dungeon Crusade. Colin did a playthrough. We're sorry, guys. Actually, Peter and I are the lesser Dungeon Crawler fans. Maybe we shouldn't be the ones doing the Red Dragon in review, but we're what you got. Right. Um, certainly Colin and Baron's out of like the six people on the one stop co-op shop, like main staff, they are the ones who play most of the cooperative dungeon crawlers. I'm more picky and choosy with them. 
uh, which might be why I like Tales from the Dragon Inn more than a lot of them, because it does some things differently. But we'll get into that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into our review now. So we are reviewing Tales from the Red Dragon Inn, and it is based in the Red Dragon Inn universe, but it has nothing to do with the base game, except the characters are, you know, ported over from one to the other. The base game is a very competitive game where you are sitting there having a drinking contest, gambling, so you can either win by gambling or out drinking everybody else, but... This is not not that that game. This is not that game. (laughs) This is literally a dungeon crawl where you are picking one of the one of the characters from that. You do start off in the tavern, and something happens. I'm not going to spoil the story, but something happens in the tavern. This earth changing or world changing event, but it's cool that it starts like you know in a bar, right? (laughs) You know, you sit there at the bar doing normal stuff, and then like stuff starts going wrong, and then you just start this adventure. They do include. I'm trying to think, was it five or six characters in the game? It's six characters. Six characters. And you can play anywhere from one to, what, four characters when you play? Yeah. But they treat it as if everybody's with you. So it's almost like if there are less monsters to fight, it's because you are just fighting a certain select group of them while the rest of your group is off doing something else. Because, you know, the the discussion, everything else is everybody seems to be there. So even if mechanically it doesn't seem that way you're definitely meant to be everybody in the party has gone down and they are exploring these dungeons and and getting on these crazy adventures together so that is basically the theme mike why don't you cover the mechanics yeah so uh we'll get into a lot of these in the review so i won't go into too much detail but uh you do have rounds in each round each uh enemy will get an activation you have like enemy types and this is played uh not in a book like jaws of a lion but in uh, half-folded, these big scenario sheets, and they're yes. double-sided. So, like, scenario one will be on one side, two on the other. Um, on the scenario itself, it has, like, all the terrain you need. It has the actual activations and, like, stats of the enemies. You don't have to, like, shuffle or deal with any enemy cards or anything. At the start of the round, you roll a dice for each enemy type, and that's going to determine what they do. But then you put uh, tokens for all the enemy types and tokens for all of your heroes in a, an initiative bag, and it's randomized initiative each round. So you're not going to like always go first or always go last like you would in something like Too Many Bones. You're drawing them out. When you draw it out, it's your turn. If it's the enemies, all the enemies of that type activate using the activation you've rolled for them. If it's your turn, you can take generally an action or two actions, right, Peter? Any two actions and yeah. a shenanigan. Is that what yeah, it so is? shenanigans are like minor actions. They don't really come into play much until the second chapter when you get more abilities. Yep. But... Your actions are like moving, attacking, using ability cards. You have like cooldowns and charges and single-use items and all that kind of stuff, what you might expect. You deal with damage to enemies. Every scenario is generally kill things. Like there's other stuff going on too, but you just have to kill stuff generally (laughs) in some variation. If you get hurt enough, you get flipped to a wounded side and like your stats and stuff change. It's dice-based combat. And then you also like are building up these epic dice that you can share to like boost up your results and make them even stronger. That's kind of the core stuff. I mean, there's a lot of basic dungeon crawlers things going on here, but we'll go into more, uh, get into more details as we do the review. Hey, so we got Michael Newsom. Hello, Michael. Welcome, welcome. Uh, we got all the mics, right? Yeah. And the Matthews. And the Matthews. <laughs> if this is your first time joining us, thank you. What we do here is we talk about the top five things we think you need to know about the game, starting with number five, which is the least important, but going all the way to number one, which we think is the most important, although they are all obviously important or we wouldn't include them at all. All right, so I'll get us started. My number five is the initiative system. 
So the initiative system's pretty straightforward. You basically have your character tokens all put into a bag. If you have any companions, they would be in the bag as well if you're playing solo. Or if you're playing two-player, there's a way to get like half activations. So those all get thrown in the bags. Like So it, it makes it very straightforward. You just draw from the bag and whoever's activation it is goes. This isn't unique or new, but the fact that they're tokens, the fact that they're in a bag... It makes it a lot easier than most of the ways I've seen this done in the past. Uh, initiative's not always done this way. It's not my favorite way of doing initiative, in all honesty. But there is a lot of certainty in this game. Like, every time you roll dice, there's guaranteed hit on every side of the dice. Every time the enemy moves, you already know how they're going to activate before you take your ac activation. So there's a lot of certainty already on the board. So this initiative system adds to the uncertainty. And when a group of enemies activate, and even when they spawn, the way they spawn and activate is you draw cards one at a time from their deck. And it says, like, the first one you draw goes on spot A. So it might be number three that goes on spot A. And there's this, like, deck of, like, cards for each color. And each color activates by itself. So it says yellow activates. So you draw a yellow card three. You're going to put monster three of yellow on spot A. And then it says put another one on F or whatever. And then you draw another one. It might be number one. That number one will activate before three. But based on the order you draw them out, they're going to activate differently each turn. So I just think the way those monsters like are put down on the board and activate or decides when the activation happens is interesting. I'm going to get into the monster activations later, but I just think that part of it, how they did it was very interesting. I think it's a little bit of a mix for me because I do think it's a little clunky as far as like drawing cards for things and then trying to find the standee that goes along with it and then trying to find space on the side of the board to put it. So that part's a little clunky. I'm not a huge fan of initiatives that are like random each turn where you could be first mm -hmm. one turn and then last the next turn. And it's a lot of downtime, quote unquote, although we'll get to that later. There's not a lot of downtime in the game, even if that does happen. So not my favorite thing, but I think it does work well here because there's so much certainty in other places. I think having this little bit of randomness works. Yeah, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment, so I'll leave that for now. But my number five uh, is the accessibility in the game and kind of the balance of the game. Uh, just to say again, we got a review copy of this. I think I said that earlier, but just to be sure. Uh, something I want to say is that this is the first game my seven-year-old has really gotten into and the first uh, game that my 10- and 7-year-old have played all together with me consistently the first big campaign game we've played the first crawler we've played so i know that's going to have some bias like i've just been having a blast with it and the fact that the game allows that is really cool and and this is a pro for me because i think it is very accessible they have a really nice tutorial to start out the game the rule like learn to play works really well even like peter you didn't have to experience this but even the way they like have you unpack stuff and kind of like walk you through what you need and what to use when i think is really nice so it's really, like, uh, good for onboarding, good for, like, learning the game. They have a nice reference for when you want to, like, actually dig into things a little bit deeper. And they don't give you, like, too much stuff to do in the first scenario, and then they unlock more powers as you go. So, like, even if you're playing with a more complicated character, it's not going to be, like, super overwhelming at first. And then they have more complicated and easier characters. Uh, the player count balance is nice. I've found I've played it one player, two player, three player, four player. And all those counts, uh, it doesn't seem to be like way easier or way harder, at least not that I was able to discern. The difficulty modifiers work well, having like fewer or more enemies spawn. Even the true solo, it gets a little wonky, I think, later in the campaign because you like it's like you and like a helper, but the helper doesn't level up, but you level up extra. 
So you're going to be like the star of the show, but isn't that kind of what you want in a true solo? <laughs> so yeah, I think this overall, I think the game's very accessible. It helps both casual and experienced gamers get into it quickly. And like the player count kind of balancing works well, at least as much as I've seen so far. Yeah, no, I agree with all that. And I'll get into some of that as we get along with the review. My number four is the scenarios and the tutorial that you were talking about. So there are, what, 25 different scenarios. Some of them are yeah. multi-parted scenarios as well. So those big sheets. And again, that you're right. That component is something I've never seen before. Usually now you see these books and maybe they'll have two or three books you put together. These are literally giant pieces of paper. Probably, I don't know the size of six pieces of paper put together, maybe more. Yeah. So, so what's that like 33 by 22 or something like that? Yeah. Uh, inches. Uh, you know, they're fairly large pieces of paper. Um, they're just folded in half and they're double sided. So on one side's one scenario, the next side scenario too. So that was unique. Uh, I, I haven't seen that before. I like that they did the tutorial, but I don't know how, if I like how they did the tutorial. What were your thoughts on that? Because it's three different rule books now. So you have a rule book that is basically the scenarios, like scenario one through four. There's the tutorial rule book where it's like go back and forth between these two. And I guess that's so if you play it through a second time, you don't have to read all the tutorial-y stuff. And I'll be honest, by the end of the tutorial, I wasn't going back and forth anyway. Like, it's like, all right, I got it. It's pretty clear in the regular rule book. Certainly the first few pages of the tutorial book you'll need. But then they have a third rule book, which is like the fantasy flight. Everything spelled out like A is for agile and this is what agile means or whatever. Right? So... There's three different places that you have to reference to find the rules, and there's no one real rule book because of how they did it. I appreciate the ambition. I don't know that it came together well. What are your thoughts on just that tutorial system? I mean, I'm used to the fantasy flight system now, so I wouldn't agree. I never need to look at that to learn to play again. The rules reference handles everything I need, and the scenario book has all the scenarios. So I don't, you know, it's not like it's not like something like Mage Knight or Space Alert, where it's kind of awkwardly shoved together and I kind of have to look back at both things to figure out how to play. Like, I think they did it successfully. I, I don't agree with what you're saying. So you think that that reference with the, the, the lettered things, and they do have appendix at the back that like, this is how you do combat and this is how you do whatever yeah. you thought that was enough. Um, were you going back and forth as you did the tutorial or like me, did you just stop after a while? Cause you're like, I, right. I did it for like the first mission. Then I looked at the rules reference a little bit and then never went back to it again. So yeah, I mean, I didn't use the learn to play all the way through, but sure. I think it could have been helpful for somebody who needed to, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's my little bit of con for this, but the pro is the scenarios themselves. I think there is good variety in them. I think you're doing stuff differently each mission. I think there are varied amounts of monsters. And the cool part about the way they do this is they have standees for the monsters, but there's no monster stats anywhere except on this fold-out piece of paper. And so that's where you see what their stats are and things like that. So a slime in one mission may be completely different in the next mission, have completely different stats. So I think it was neat how they use their components to make very good variety with what they had. So those, again, I think that fold-out sheet, the scenarios themselves, really led to variety because of how they laid it out and using those sheets rather than the like little books or whatever else. Yeah, no, totally. Oh, Brant's in the uh, chat. Hey, Brant. Yeah. If you want to play a Gen Con, I'll, I'll play with you. Peter probably will too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a good one. All right. So what's your number four, Mike? 
My number four is kind of what you just mentioned, combined with something you said you were going to mention later. I put enemy activation and initiative together. It kind of ends up being a pro with them together. If I just took the initiative out like you, I would be mixed on it. Uh, The only thing I'll say, because I totally agree with you, having it be randomized every round is necessary with so many predictable things, like you said. But the biggest negative I have with the initiative system is that it's harder to set up like cool combos and stuff. Sure. You still do it, especially once you know the enemy you want to do the combo on is already gone. But, like, they have a lot of cool abilities that can go together. Like, I can pull somebody so that you can do your splash attack. But then, like, if your their initiative goes before yours and they move out of the area attack, you know, so, like, it, it, it makes it a little bit harder to combo together sometimes. Yes. But overall, I, I think it's a necessary evil, and I think it works fine. But the enemy activation, like you, I love the enemies being printed right on the map. I like how they change from scenario to scenario. I love how the activations are very simple. I think the rules are very straightforward. You know, they, they move towards you, they attack. Like, it's, even when they have kind of interesting things going on, it's not hard to figure out. The enemy turns tend to go super fast. I never felt like I was kind of drudging through them, even when there were a lot of them on the board. So, yeah, so the initiative is not like 100% a slam dunk for me, but I know why they did it that way. I think all the rest of the stuff like with the enemy activation is really good. The one thing I forgot about the initiative system is it does let you plan a little bit. So let's say I know the red enemies and the blue enemies are reactivated and the like the red ones are the really bad ones, right? They do the most damage. Yeah. And there are some scenarios that have doors, which you open a door and you're spawning a whole new room. Well, if reds have already activated and I know they're the big damagers and only yellows are left or whatever else, <laughs> then I don't worry as much about opening that door, right? It actually informs my decisions. Yeah. For what I'm going to do, unlike something like Gloomhaven or whatever else, where those enemies in the new room are going to activate, they don't activate here, which is really cool. Honestly, yeah. like, you know, I, so- I definitely like it much better. I mean, I always hated in Gloomhaven, like not wanting to open a door because suddenly every enemy would like teleport towards you. You know what I mean? It's like, right. we suddenly get a burst of speed. You know, it's like, why? <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I like the way the activation system worked in that way or the initiative system worked in that way because it let me, it, it changed my decision-making process. It added to the puzzle. It didn't take away, but like you, I agree that it doesn't lead to comboing as well, unless you just get lucky for the turn order. All right, so my number three is those enemy activations. That's why I spent some time on that, because I don't have a whole lot to say after you. Um, The only other thing I'll say is the way they activate is not only when you draw the initiative token does it determine which enemy activates, but at the beginning of the round, you roll this purple die that has three different sides on it, and each enemy will have different activations based on which side of the dice you roll. So there's a little bit of randomness in what they're going to do. It's a little bit varied from turn to turn, but you know that ahead of time because at the beginning of every round, you're going to roll a die for each enemy that's on the board. And then if you spawn some during the round, then you're going to roll a die during the round for that enemy. Just like you said, it's super easy to resolve. You go top to bottom. They, they've done everything in this game to simplify. So it's like enemies can walk through other enemies. They can't walk through friendly characters. They're going to walk straight to, towards you. They're going to avoid traps. But if they can't avoid traps, then they don't. They just walk towards you. They don't worry about range, right? Ideal range or anything. They just walk right up to you. Um, so they've done everything they can to make the game as simple as humanly possible. And the enemy activations are the same. So like you said... They're super quick. It's like, all right, number one moves three spaces. He attacks you for two. If he does damage to you, he'll also switch places with you or whatever. Like, 
super straightforward, super simple. All right, enemy one activated. Now, who's the next one? Number three. Let's do him. So super straightforward, super quick, and it just gets you back to the fun, which is the player turns. So enemy activations, I think it's done really well. Don't love the initiative system, but I actually like how you paired them together because I think together it's an overall pro. Yeah. All right, so my number three is the narrative and kind of the campaign structure. I think the narrative will be hit or miss for people. It's a sillier story. And to be clear, you're like reading maybe a page before the scenario and like half a page afterwards. So one thing I do like, I usually don't enjoy this as much in other games. Uh, You don't do a ton of reading like during the scenario. You might read like a sentence when you open up a room. Yep, But it's not like one of those things where you're like, okay, now pause and read like three pages. (laughs) Correct. Which is great. Come back later. Yeah. yeah, Which is great. But again, like the narrative is goofy. It's silly. It's... The way I described in my video review, and I still kind of hold to this, is it reminds me of how we act when we play Dungeons and Dragons and how I know a lot of Dungeons and Dragons groups act. In that, like, it is kind of serious. It's not like full-on Red Dragon in like, goofiness like the card game. It is kind of serious. Like, you are doing important things and you are stopping real threats. But you're also kind of tongue-in-cheek and you're also kind of being goofy and doing your character stuff and being silly. Yes. I personally found it funny. I enjoyed it. I was playing with my kids and they enjoyed it too, so that helped. But some people, I'm sure, will read it and roll their eyes and not find it humorous at all. <laughs> that's just how that's how humor works, right? Well, some um, sorcery tried to do this too, right? But they well, yes, did it's, it it's, almost in a more serious way, which is it's weird. Like they tried well, to Well, my, my problem with sword and sorcery is that they had like bad like puns. Pop culture. Like, I, I don't know. I, yeah. I always oh my gosh. They like reference Captain Jack Sparrow in the second scenario and that like still sticks with me. I'm sure the story got better from there and it did from what I remember playing. But I was like, all right, you just already ruined it, y'all. <laughs> like don't do that. But I, I kind of combine things here because I had a lot to say. But the campaign structure I like. So like Peter said, it's 25 scenarios. They are linear. So if you're going to replay, you're going to replay to have a different difficulty, to try out different abilities and play different characters. Like I think there is replay there, but it's not replay from like a branching campaign structure. But what I really personally like, because for me, and I know for you, Peter, usually this way too, my kind of ideal for a campaign length is like three to maybe eight or nine or 10 max out. Yep. When you get into like Gloomhaven territory or uh, even descent legends of the dark, was like longer than I prefer. And it's hard for me to like get the time to finish it just because of my life situation. So this one does the chapters are four to six scenarios, but then you have this whole epic campaign and the chapters are pretty self-contained. Like, you know, I know you haven't gotten through as far, but like they tend to be like, this is the threat. You go here, you fight this. Ooh, new threat emerges. Oop, you found out a mystery, kill the big boss. Yeah. And like, the next chapter builds on that and ooh, they were working with these people, but it feels like you finished a good episode of a show. It feels like you yes. finished the first movie in a trilogy. It feels like you finished like the book in a series. So it has a nice ending feel. So like my kids and I played through the first chapter very quickly and took a break for a few days. And then we played through chapter two pretty quickly. And then we took a break for a while. We haven't done chapter three yet because Peter's uh, borrowing it, <laughs> but I-, I like that structure. It feels like it's a nice, easy way to kind of like take a break and separate things out for me. That's all for my taste. I like the campaign structure. I like the narrative. This could be a total con for others, but it works for me. Yeah, no, I I like it as well because I do like those short, bite-sized chapters. Uh, Zimbo asks if Tales for the Red Dragon Inn is as simple as Zombicide Black Plague. Um, No. (laughs) Well, I think enemy activation is actually easier. 
Honestly. No, well, I mean, because there's the whole splitting yeah, boards and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I know, that. but but Zombicide, all of them, you just move them like one space each, usually, except for like the runners and stuff. Like here, like they're moving different spaces. They have different ranges for their attacks. They'll like activate special abilities. They'll throw stuff at you. They'll like do, spe- you know, they'll apply status effects to you. So, no, I think it's definitely not a lot more complicated than Zombicide, but more complicated. And certainly what you're doing it on your turn. It feels the same will- weight to me. How about that? Sure, sure, that's fair. But I was going to say what you do on your turn, way more tactically interesting. interesting. Yes, and that's what we're yeah. about to get to. Like, we haven't gotten to the good stuff yet. Two and one are, for me at least, this is like what makes this game. So let's go with number two, which is what you just talked about, dynamic combat. You're pushing people around, you're grabbing them, you're putting them next to you, you're throwing them, you're pushing them backwards, throwing them into traps. There's a lot of movement on the board, which is good. Not enough games do this, honestly, yeah. We did a lot of work towards spare parts, and we're like, nobody's ever done this before. This is the first game that felt close to me. It still doesn't do all of the things that we're doing with spare parts, which is our dungeon crawl. It's not out. Don't look it up. But this game made me go, oh, yeah, that does feel good to do all these fun little things. The only thing that actually is a little bit of a con for me in, in the dynamic part is they made a lot of things immune to stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's only chapter one, dude. Okay. All right. Yes. So it is annoying. Yeah. So like the fact that slimes can't be hurt by acid. So like your pushing is not as cool. Right. For really the first uh, scenario two and three, definitely an odd choice that I would not have done. And it's, it's immediately gone for chapter two and they don't really, I have not seen it come back. Basically everything is hurt by everything in the later chapters. Which is good. And even like the bosses are immune to like stun or whatever, or like, or, or they're harder to weaken or whatever. It's like, Oh, you need at least two to weaken them. Well, at least early on, you don't get abilities that put more than one on, right? So it's like they're taking away your cool stuff to some degree. With Now, to be fair, like every game that does this, and I've gotten away from my dynamic con- combat, by the way. <laughs> Seems like I've been doing that all day today. I got to stay on focus, stay on target. Um, yeah, target. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so in chapter one, at least, the tutorial chapter, they do take away a lot of your toys sometimes, which I wish that was a choice they didn't make. But the dynamic combat itself is super cool. I love moving stuff around. I love throwing stuff. I love adding traps in the middle of the mission and then doing stuff like grabbing them and putting them on the trap. And like, I love the physical puzzle of it. Like, how do I move things around or how do I line myself up in such a way that I hit two people with my attack? I I just love games that do this. I think it was done a little bit in Osworn. And I think it's done even more so here. But I don't think either of them are where we want them to be, which is why Spare Parts is still going to be very viable when it comes out, because it's going to be a lot even more of it, I yes. believe. So so to me, though, it's it's super fun. I love the dynamicness. The board is not static at all. Yeah, that, that's higher for me, so I'll get back to it. <laughs> uh, my number two is uh, maybe the most negative thing on the review. But if you didn't see the video review, uh, it's still a pro in the end for me. And that's the characters and how they level up. So let's start with the negative. The leveling is consistent. After every scenario you're going to unlock, you have like this vault, this big set of cards, and you just unlock cards from it. You're going to unlock something every scenario. Most of the time it's loot, which are, you get like potions, you get little like boosts. And they do get pretty cool. Like, Peter, you haven't seen as many of these, but even in scenario or chapter two, like the loot gets really powerful. It becomes like a reusable thing that gives you like extra bonus damage or extra pulling of the enemies or cooler ways to move around. So the loot is good. Like that is a fun unlockable. 
But that's usually all you get at the end of each scenario, except for when you finish a chapter, you upgrade some of your ability cards and you unlock even more ability cards. And you can only bring, I think it's four into each game. Yes. Yep. So chapter two, for most of it, you have six ability cards. Chapter three, I think you go up to seven or eight ability cards. So like you eventually can really kind of fine tune your build and stuff. And I think that works well. Like it might be a little bit too slow for people to open up the options, but I think it works well. But I do think some players are going to find the like actual leveling with just loot a little slow. Like it, it kind of has a Gloomhaven-ish feel where like you're getting incremental increases and you really just want to hit that new level and actually like get a new ability card. Yeah. That's how it feels here. Like that happens every like five scenarios or so. Now the big thing for me, and this might not work for you, but for me, it almost turns this 100% into a pro, is that you can totally just drop in and change characters whenever the heck you want. Yep. And like Peter said, the narrative supports this. Like, you are described as the whole party being there. The fact that this scenario, you're Gog, the orc fighter, and the next scenario, you're Deirdre, the cleric, it doesn't like feel like Gog died <laughs> you know, or right. went away. It's just like, now we're focusing on cool things Deirdre was doing during this adventure. At least that's how yep. I felt about it. Yep. Um, so, yeah. And, and this is... Very much a mic problem. I don't. I get bored with dungeon crawlers and campaign games in general, playing the same character over and over. It's something I also loved about Oathsworn that I could switch which character was my main one in solo play and which ones were like my supporting, like kind of henchman characters. I love that there too. Like I, I don't like playing twenty times in a row. Like in Gloomhaven, when my character is taking too long to retire, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I'm doing the same combos every scenario. I got it, all right? I know that I can do my knife thing. I do it every time. Switch yeah. to something else. So I, I personally appreciate it here. And just to briefly add on about the characters, I think the variety is great there. They're all fun. I've played all six of them. They have different complication levels if you want to like kind of do different things with them. Yep. The way they level up is exciting. Like my kids would, their eyes would glow with glee when they would see like... Uh, my youngest, who's playing like the female fighter, uh, Fiona, he, he saw that in chapter three at the end of chapter two. He's getting this one where he can jump on like a troll's head, and, like make them move around, but also stab them. My, my son can <laughs> disappear from the board, and, like come back. Like the abilities are awesome. Yes. And and well, I'll talk about this later. But yeah, the, the abilities are fun. The characters are fun. And even though the leveling might leave some people cold, I think the fact that you can mix and match your characters and like play a different one when you get bored at least for me, fixes it. All right, my number one. We've saved the best for last, which is always what we do. <laughs> but this one seems like so far ahead of the other ones for me. I mean, dynamic combat and this, which is the player activations, are so freaking cool in this game. That's what makes this game amazing, is what you're doing on your turn. It's so simple. You get two actions, and you get one, I'm going to call it a minor action. I think it's called shenanigan in the game. Uh, but so you get two full actions and one like minor action. The minor action is usually like remove a cooldown token from one of your actions because that's how your cards work. It might say like, so for example, the rogue has a card that moves one space, then attacks with two yellow dice. If they're backstabbing, we don't have to get into details, but they get another yellow dice and then they get to move four spaces. So it's like you leap in and leap away. I forget. I think it's called a hit and run or something. Yeah. So that takes like three cooldowns. So you put these three cooldown tokens on it. So for a minor action, I can remove one of those cooldown actions. But later in the game, as you said, I got like a weapon, like these knuckle dusters that take mm -hmm. three cooldown themselves, but they are a minor action. So I could punch somebody with these knuckle dusters instead of removing. So now my cooldowns have gotten worse. So like the amount of 
options you have just with those three little things, like those two actions and this minor action, become really cool. Like early on, the way they introduce you, and this is the good part of the tutorial, which we talked about earlier, is they introduce it really slow and they let you build up to it. But the the amount of cool stuff you can do just with those actions, and there's some actions I'm like, I'm never going to use this action, but then I do end up using it because the situation comes up. I feel like in some of these games, like I've had cards and I, I'm not, again, trying to pick on Gloomhaven, but I've had cards in Gloomhaven. It's like the situation you would think comes up, but it never comes up, right? In this game, the situations always come up. Like there was another sh- shenanigan with the same character that let me move two spaces and get this like dodgy token. I'm like, I'm never going to use that. Like I'd rather use my shenanigan to do other stuff, but sometimes I'm two spaces away from something and I need to punch it. And so I use it to like <laughs> reposition myself. Self, right they again the dynamic combat along with what you're doing on your player turns and again it's not hard every card tells you what you can do it says this is an action it takes three cooldown or the other side of it is use these like lightning bolt tokens what'd you say the energized tokens or whatever charge tokens I think they're called charge tokens so uh, some of your actions will start with like three charge tokens at the beginning and you can use them whenever you want but when they're gone they're gone there's not really many ways to get those charge tokens back So, like, you can really just use them all three in one turn if you wanted to, but then you're not going to have them for the rest of the game. And they still take one of your actions as well. Even things like drinking potions is one of those minor shenanigan actions, right? So, like, I don't know. Like, the the choice of what you do with those actions is, I don't know, it's just very cool to me. Like, I love what you're doing on your turn, and that's the way it should be, right? Like, the enemy activations, all that other stuff doesn't matter because what you're doing on your turn is super fun. So that's my number one, the player activations. Yeah, and uh, Zimbo asked real quick, uh, Peter, before I get to my number one, well, Wander, the call to Barnacle Bay. I did a review of that. I forget if we did a podcast of it, but Colin did a playthrough. Zimbo wanted to know how it compares. Um, Wander is very, Zimbo, Wander is very uh, closely related to Zombicide. Yes. Like it's almost like a Zombicide with some stuff added on. So the big difference is what Peter just talked about. In Wander, like, your cool turn will be, like, you move three spaces and roll more dice and kill a guy. In this game, your cool turn is using some ridiculous ability that, like, teleports you, like, five spaces and, like, blows up three guys at once and then throws one of them into, like, a spike trap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. So, and yeah. that, that goes into my number one point, too. I, I called it, like, tactical battle play overall. Uh, but it goes with what you said, Peter. I think the the abilities are awesome. Even like the basic abilities on your character sheet that you always have access to and that never need cooldown are good and are varied. Like Gog can move through enemies, which nobody else can do. Yep. Deirdre can move with a shenanigan. So she tends to have more of her actions available and she can keep up with everybody. So yeah, they just did a great job of making the abilities awesome. It's not like, just to get, I mean... Uh, <laughs> Gloomhaven is, you know, of course, the one that comes up the most. We've played a ton of it. You know, Gloomhaven has these really cool abilities that exhaust themselves. Like, they go out of your deck after you use them, and you do some awesome thing. This game is, like, every ability is that a lot of the time. But you can use it, like, four times in a scenario, or five times, because the cooldown, like, comes back around again, and you unlock it again. So the abilities are awesome. Like you said, I kind of combined your first and second the tactical, like, pushing people into things. And it gets way better in Chapter 2, Peter. I know you haven't played as much of that one. Yeah. But, like, there are lots more kind of environmental things and, like, cooler scenarios in there later. The scenario design is great. You know, if you like fighting and dungeon crawlers, it's great. Like, this really cool, like, inventive ways that they change up the battlefield. You're never just, like, 
walk forward punch things, there's always something cool going on. Yeah. And then uh, the last thing that I kind of threw in totally unfairly here, but neither of us mentioned it, so I got to mention it. I love the dice. I love that you don't have dice for the enemies, which these days tends to be my preference. Like, just let them do two damage or, like, have a minor, like, kind of modifier for it. And I love that for your dice, they hit or they hit more. Like, in the end, this is, are we, is this our design discussion? What's our design discussion, Peter? I forget. Our design discussion is going to be on dice today. Like in Okay, dice so combat. I won't go too much into this, man. Yeah. But basically, it is entirely focused on player fun, high-fiving. You have exploding dice. You get, like, these epic dice that you can then use to make your attacks even bigger. And you use those when you want to. So you can apply them to, like, your biggest, most awesome area of effect, like, kick-butt attacks. Or, like, against the most dangerous enemy. The dice are fully focused on you having a great time. We'll discuss that more in the design discussion. So, yeah, I just love, like, the entire tactical, like, milieu of this. <laughs> like, how you're moving, how you're using abilities, how fun those abilities are, how impactful they are. And then you get to use them over and over again. It's not like a one-off thing. Yes. And you could spend your entire action, because you can take those full actions as shenanigans if you want. So you could, like, use your most powerful ability and then spend two turns cooling it down. So when you get your next activation next turn, because it automatically everything cools down once per turn. Like, that way you could use it again your next turn. If you really wanted to, you could just use, like, a really cool ability as your entire turn. Now, it's not going to work, right? Like, like, there's no (laughs) way, like, the scenarios present itself that that is always the most useful thing. But you could. You know, like, I I don't know. This, it kind of reminds me of Osworn in a little way, where you've got, like, control over the timing, the cooldown of your abilities. And I just love, in both of the games... How that works. This game is much simpler than Osworn. Yeah. Much simpler, much easier to get to the table, at least in my mind. And to me, that's what it's coming down to. Like, both of these have surpassed Adventure Tactics for me. Unless oh, Advent- really? Interesting. Unless Adventure Tactics... Uh, so, kind of getting into my final thoughts here. Unless Adventure Tactics really does something to make those scenarios better because i do feel like there was a lot of ambiguity in the rules for that and that just frustrates me um that was my but also only- adventure tactics has way i mean i i love the leveling in adventure tactics this game does not do leveling better than adventure tactics no not at all but yeah adventure tactics big problem compared to this one which does great things with the scenarios is adventure tactics is like hey you're in another blank room but this person puts down walls sometimes yeah And and it's not even clear how you do that, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this, it's going to be hard. Like I'm thinking like through this review, I'm already thinking about my year end list. I'll tell you right now, this and Osworn will be near the top, if not at the top. I don't remember what else. Oh God. Are we doing Osworn in the same, and is Aeon Trespass this year too? Aeon Trespass Odyssey is another one for this year. Yeah. So it's going to be a good year, a very good year for games this year. But I, I think about, like, this versus Oathsworn. Like, if I had a choice, I could only get one. Right now, I'm leaning Tales from the Red Dragon in only because it's easier to get to the table. Yeah. I, I love Oathsworn, but I have not touched it since our review. And it's not because I don't want to play it. It's because it's just harder to get to the table. First of all, it's just bigger and it's got more stuff. Second of all, it's got a second edition coming, so I'm waiting for that stuff. As we talked about last podcast, I don't like playing stuff that I feel like is out of date <laughs> so i don't want to play oh, wait, it the second edition for oswald is not like fixing anything that i'm aware of i thought you just like got standees for standees it. is the big thing for me because that's I wanted- not a fix that's a very yeah like for everyone listening it's not like stars of Acarius doing a 1.5 or like that kind of thing oh it's no just, no no 
It's just the next printing of Osworn. There's nothing wrong with Osworn. <laughs> no, no, no. For sure not. But yeah, yeah. But uh, like, I can't carry it. It's not portable right now. Oh, yeah. I know. I know. Um, yeah. So that's where I am. I mean, this is certainly one of my top. I mean, those two are at the top of my list right now. When when that other one comes out, whatever, the water one. I feel like oh, that's going to. Oh, God. Title Blades 2. Yeah, Title Blades 2 is going to be up there as well. I feel like these three are going to be my top dungeon crawls. And I don't think anything's going to touch them for a long time. I can't imagine. At least until Spare Parts comes out. So Yeah. <laughs> but I, we, I do want to answer Zimbo's question. But why don't you give your final thoughts first and then we'll get into Zimbo's question. Yeah. So I said in my video review, this is maybe my top game of the year so far. Now, I wasn't thinking of Osworn because that I did a video of last year. So, like, it wouldn't be competing against Red Dragon in on, like, my, you know, 2023 best of list. So I don't know where I would rank them. But yeah, like you, this is way easier to get to the table. I'm not going to get my kids playing Osworn anytime soon. Right. Actually, I didn't get uh, Harrison to play a scenario with me, but using like the simpler character, and that worked out pretty well. So I shouldn't say that. But yes, I love this game. I said in my review, this is my favorite dungeon crawler at the moment. I am playing with my kids, which gives it a big boost. I like that I can get it to the table quickly, which is not always the case. But I, I adore this one. I think uh, it is fun. It is quick. It hits all the things I wanted to. It doesn't overstay its welcome. I don't think we said this, but a scenario is usually for us like about an hour. You know, like some of them are longer, some of them are it's shorter. It's a little longer for me, but yes. Yeah, it's great solo. It's the kind of thing that I would like maybe want to play through again, which is not often the case for like these big campaign games. Yep. So yes, uh, I, I love this one. It's not going to be for everyone. You might not want to get it if you don't like the goofy story. It has standees instead of miniatures for like the enemies if you don't like that. The randomized initiative system is going to annoy some people. It's all combat, so like if yes. you want like a game where it's like you, you know you're not adventuring around, you're not flipping over tiles, you're not uh, you're not doing like I don't know like rescue missions and stuff, you know, like or stealth missions, like you're fighting and you're fighting and you're fighting. Yep. But for that, I think it's one of the best I've ever played at what it does, and I absolutely adore it. Yeah. So uh, it, it's interesting that you keep saying you're playing it with your kids. I don't want people to think that this is a kiddie game though. Like no, I would no. happily play it with you any day of the week. Like absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you can ramp up the difficulty. We didn't really talk about this, but there's different levels. There's story mode, which basically is no difficulty. Then there's like a veteran. Hey, hey, hey. It's still a little challenging. My kids <laughs> and I have almost lost a couple times. <laughs> yes, uh, but then there's like normal mode and there's difficult mode as well. And in addition to that, they say there's other ways to tweak difficulty. At the beginning of each mission, you get like a few tokens based on the mission that tells you how many to get. It says just get more or less if you want to tweak the difficulty at the beginning of the mission as well. So there are ways to tweak difficulty, which I love when a game gives you different difficulty settings. Like, it doesn't happen nearly enough. And this one gives you a variety of them. And like I said, story mode, if you just want a fun romp, is great for that. I like the normal mode. I know you said that the difficult mode or veteran mode or whatever is super fun too. You know, I haven't played that one but I didn't feel the need. Like I wanted to win the missions and get through them. <laughs> so like if I wanted a challenge, more of a challenge and I wanted something more difficult, there are ways to make the game more difficult. I enjoyed the difficulty I was playing at where I was close to losing a lot, but I never lost. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I felt normal mode was that for me. And so, uh, I like that they threw that in there and we didn't even really talk about how characters can get wounded too. And they're, yeah, they're characters I, love, are, I love that mechanic. Yeah, they're um, different on the backside. Yeah, and they even like give you like a cool boost. So you like take your ten damage, you flip over, you get like a different picture of your character. Your characters change a little bit. 
But then they'll like give you like five free shields or like do a bunch of extra damage on your next attack. So you almost like feel cool when you get wounded instead of bad. Like everything they did in the game makes you feel cool. Like you're doing awesome stuff. You know what I oh, mean? Oh, and, and I just... the other thing you never talked about when you talked about the dice specifically, and we can get into our dice discussion now, was that you get these black dice too. No, they... I, I mentioned them. I mentioned the epic dice and I, and I love them, but yes. Yeah. I so... did talk about them. So they help you, they can either boost your attack or they can help you on defense too. You right. Can, so everything seems to be a choice in the game. I don't know. I Yeah. And the more I think about it, the more I talk about it. I mean, I just played it a lot the last couple of days too. It's just super good. And, and, and again, you haven't even gotten to like the really good scenarios. Like the first four scenarios are fine. They're fun. Especially like, I like that fourth one a lot where you're fighting the boss. But chapter two is like, everything is better than in chapter one. <laughs> yeah. No, I can't wait to play it then. Yeah, so Zimbo, his question was, or, or her question, sorry, don't know. Uh, this game sounds great, so how come it's getting zero attention except for you guys, zero buzz, zero hype, and nobody cares? Is it because it's mostly standees and not miniatures? What are your thoughts, Mike? I have thoughts. I mean, it's like just finishing delivering the Kickstarter. You can't buy it yet. Right, it's not out. <laughs> the, the Kickstarter made almost $400,000. I don't know. I think it's getting attention. Now, yeah, yeah if, if Zimbo means, like, why are there not a lot of videos on it yet, I'm not sure how many review copies they sent out. We, again, got a review copy, so maybe they haven't sent review copies out to other reviewers yet. I, I know that none we of my early, content creator friends have... Yeah, I mean, like, th- they knew we loved the game from the preview, so I think they wanted to get us a copy earlier than other people. Yep. But, yeah, I don't know any of my content creator friends who are playing it yet. So it doesn't mean that they wouldn't love it. it. Doesn't mean they won't do great videos on it. But they I don't think they played it yet. And yeah, besides that, I, I don't know. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure the standing thing might hurt too. People love miniatures, and this doesn't have that many miniatures. It's not, it's the miniatures are nice for the heroes, and it's standees for the enemies, which I guess is what Gloomhaven does too. It doesn't hurt them. Although, hey, now now you can buy miniatures, right? <laughs> the Gloomhaven Festival spent hundreds of dollars getting some more miniatures for the enemies. But yeah, I I I, I don't know. I, I think it's just because it's not has been out there long enough. I hope it gets attention. I think it's great. So I want it to get attention. So Donald's in the chat. He says, listening to you talk about the game, Mike, has made me really want to try it. Apparently, I have not had enough enthusiasm for it. It's all you, Mike. Donald also says, Zimbo is wondering the same thing about Wanderer. Yeah, we did a review on Wanderer a while back. I thought that game had major problems for me. It does. Yeah, I, I also think it has. It, it's very similar to Zombicide. And I think Zombies has a little bit better because I think Wander had a few glaring flaws for me in the like mechanics. Yeah, and Donald asks, uh, "This game is getting a retail release, right?" And the correct, I, I believe yeah, it should. It's, it's, I think it's available at Gen Con, and then I think they're trying to do retail sometime after that. I mean, like I don't have any direct connection to the company besides them sending me copies of stuff sometimes, but uh, I believe that's right. And I mean, again, Battle for Greyport, I think, is one of the best deck builders that's out there, too, especially for competitive. I think attaching Red Co- Dragon cooperative, in... Cooperative, you mean. Or cooperative. I think yeah. attaching Red Dragon in name to it has really, like, made some of these games not get the attention. We've talked about this a lot. With their branding being so strong and so take that with their original game, that this game might lose some of the love that it would get just because it shares the same name. I'm curious about Title Blades as well, whether that will help or hurt things, right? Like Gloomhaven had their Founders of Gloomhaven, which was a total Euro game, had nothing to do with Gloomhaven, and people were pissed off, right? I think when you try to brand something into your universe that is a completely different game, I think sometimes it loses some luster because you're going to 
hurt yourself because people who loved your original game aren't going to love this new game. And people who would love it will never try it because they didn't like your original game. I think it's different in this case, you know, like comparing Red Dragon Inn to Battle for Greyport and now Red Dragon Inn to Tales from the Red Dragon Inn. I think the big difference is, I might be wrong, but I know a lot of people love Red Dragon Inn and I think that the big crossover there is D&D fans who want a fun, like, card take that drinking game kind of thing you know what i mean that's literally what the entire theme is it's like what do the D adventurers do when they get back from the dungeon they do this <laughs> you know what i yes. mean so i think the the crossover potential with a dungeon crawler is a very straight shot no like, you're right I, I in agree. a way hitting the same people yep whereas battle for Greyport, i agree one of my absolute favorite cooperative de- dun- uh, deck builders I think that's a tougher sell. And they also kind of like muddied it. Cause remember like the first release, it was like way too hard and they had to like redo the tutorial scenario. And like, it really pushed people away from it. So I think that that one had like a little bit of a flaw, a false start. Yeah. Donald and Zimbo are talking about how hungry gamer who's will loves wander. Well, he also loves tales from the red dragon. Inn. he actually got a preview copy of it before we did and has a video up, I think as well. So I mean, yes. we're friends with Will, by the way. Like, it's not, yeah, we, I mean, he is literally one of our good friends. And I don't think Wander is his favorite dungeon crawler anymore either. <laughs> yeah, I can't like, imagine. I'm going to yell at him I'm at not, I, You know, I talk is. to him regularly. He is one of my, like, game buddies. And I don't think he's mentioned that game in at least a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the weird part about looking back at reviews, right? Like, games evolve over time. That's why top 100 lists and things like that are still so popular. Because... Games do ebb and flow over time as mechanics ebb and flow. Like at some point, Gloomhaven was my favorite dungeon crawl, right? Now it's yeah. probably not in my top five. Yeah. So it's in my top 10, but not top five. Well, it might be like at five. Yeah. I mean, especially like, <laughs> sorry, Gloomhaven, the, the shorter one. I definitely like better oh, Jaws than of the, the Lion. Jaws yeah. of the Lion. I like definitely better than the full one, which is weird because it's just a shorter version of it. But that makes all the difference to me because I don't want to play, like you said, a 100-mission campaign. I want to play a 10-mission campaign, 15 Well, they also accelerated campaign. the leveling extremely, which I liked better. I, I always felt like Gloomhaven was a little slow. Yeah, um, the tutorial system they did early was good. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about dice in combat. So that's going to be our design discussion tonight. You particularly like this because there are no misses on any side of the dice. The worst case scenario on these yellow dice is that you get one hit. Best case scenario is that you get a critical hit, which means you get one hit and you get to re-roll the dice. And in between, they have two hits. They have a hit and uh, this exclamation mark symbol, which is how you get those black dice into your pool to begin with. So you were telling me that you're even thinking about or rethinking about how we use dice in the future based on this dice combat. Yeah, I mean, so so to explain briefly, and, I, and I, we did this did come up like as a side conversation in a recent episode. I just wanted to like do a fuller discussion of it because it also came out in my recent plays of Summoner Wars Second Edition. The original Summoner Wars, you would hit on two thirds of the die faces, and you would often be rolling one or two dice for your attacks. And in the second edition for melee attack specifically, now you're usually rolling at least two, if not three or four dice, and you hit on five out of six uh, die faces. But the enemies have more health to accommodate. Another die system I like is too many bones. On the attack sides, you have just one miss side, 
and five sides that hit, and one of them even double hits. So you have this very consistent expectation of hitting, of doing damage. And uh, what I like so much here is that they go even one step further. There is no miss side. There is never that, oh, like, or that, oh, my God, I'm dead, because <laughs> she rolled, like, three dice and, you know, too many bones. I love that game, but, you know, you roll three dice and you get three misses. Whoopsie! <laughs> you know, it's, it's a very uh, statistical improbability that'll happen, but it's, it can be very frustrating and, and disheartening when that happens. So what they did here, and what any game designer can often do is increase your numbers and instead of the worst result being nothing the worst result is one damage the worst result is like two damage it's in many ways just optics it's in many ways just the perspective that the player has on what they did like is there really a different if difference if you go across the entire set of roles across the entire set of probabilities in you know me missing half the time hitting half the time or even hitting one third of the time like an arkham horror eldritch horror situation if the enemy only has three life or me hitting all the time and sometimes hitting more, but the enemy has 10 life, maybe like it works out the exactly the same. Maybe on average, it's going to take me the exact same two attacks to kill that enemy. But at least for my taste, I think the optics are very different and you feel cool and cooler when you build up damage and you never have that nothing turn where you just wasted your turn whiffing and in those other games, you do have that possibility. So that's one reason I liked the dice here, especially. But, you know, those are my tastes. Not going to necessarily go with uh, everyone. Yeah, no. I, I we've, we've talked about this a lot. We started the discussion. It's like, why does Arkham Horror make Jerry so angry? Even though those tokens <laughs> are the same if if they didn't have negative and they just had positive. It would be a completely oh, different Oh, you mean Arkham Horror of the, the card games. game? Yeah, Arkham Horror yeah. of the card game, yeah. When you draw those tokens and they're negative and you had beat the number, you were at five and you needed four to beat it, and then you draw a negative two and now you're at three, right? That feels worse than... Yes, than, than if you had four, needed a seven, and got a one or a two instead of a three and they were all positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, for whatever reason, because just... Because it, it's that fear of loss, I feel like, sometimes. And same with dice. It, they're like a potential. Every dice is a potential, right? And so in a game right. like this, where they're all hits, they're, you don't feel as bad when they're all hits. Whereas if a game has misses on them, like, and you get literally nothing for it, it feels real bad. And I think, you know, we, we always often talk about, like, the Saddler Brothers dice, yep. which have these, like, half hits on them, basically, which is, no, you don't get a hit this time, but we're going to give you a token that you can use to turn into a hit the next time you roll this symbol. And then I love how they even evolved on that system and made it, not only is this a token that you can use to turn a half hit into a full hit, but it's also a token you can use to do other cool things in the yep, game as yep. well. You spend those tokens and it make it, it gives you more choices. It opens up this play space, right? So it, it is a matter of feeling bad. I think people don't like dice because they don't like, oh, I got a D20 and I need an 18 to hit. Uh, I rolled a 17. Well, you know, that's just a miss. Right? Like, nothing happens. Let's move on. I, I do like games where they mitigate that output randomness. Now, it can go too far as well, I think. Yeah. Because, I mean, one of the negatives to this game, and I noticed it a lot when I was playing, is that you're constantly pulling out tokens, exchanging tokens. Because their lives are higher, you're now like, Okay, now I got to add a one okay. token. I do two more damage. Okay, I'm going to change that one, turn it into a three, or put two more ones on there. But now I'm running out of ones, right? Like, so there are 
there are definitely negatives to a system where you're always hitting in the fact that life totals just have to be higher in general. Um, yeah. Like you said, it could just be a miss. But but again, that potential is always there on every dice for it to, to do wonderful things, which is good. I think you still have that here. But I, I do worry that there could be too narrow a window on those dice. Like here, the difference between a one hit and a critical or a one hit and a two hit is, is substantial. But I think if it's like, you know, the rain, it ranges from seven to nine hits each time you attack, sure. right? <laughs> like, like, I think there is a window that's too small that would make it feel inconsequential for rolling. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think Red Dragon Inn hits that window. I don't no. think the Sadler Brother games hit it. But no, I, I think you're right. And also, it's a great point you bring up that if you increase the enemy life total you're kind of inviting more token shuffling and like managing tokens, which did require then them to have these cards for the enemies, which you rightly pointed out can be a little bit annoying to deal with sometimes. Or in the, in the Sadler games that we tend to like so much with those systems, then you have other tokens. Now you got to suddenly manage these like, you know, extra half hit tokens or whatever they are, these extra defense tokens. Now yep. I think they did a good job there of usually letting you use them pretty quickly. So they wouldn't just like kind of build up in an annoying way. Right. But yes, certainly there is a simplicity and a beauty in like enemies having two life and, you know, that's the most you ever have to track because they're dead after that. Yes. (laughs) You know, when the numbers are shrunk, you're increasing the variability in your results and the dice can be more frustrating, but at least it keeps things clean and quick, right? Yeah, no. And I I wonder if there, I was just trying to think in my mind. So we've, we've also seen systems where you don't have life totals at all, right? You just have, like, if you do five damage, you flip them over. If you do ten damage, you kill it outright, right? Right. Could there yeah, be a Yeah, dice- we got that in, uh, you know, Gears of War was a big one for that. Uh, the recent one that I really enjoyed, Valor and Villainy, has that. I like that system, although, actually, Valor and Villainy was another one that did, I thought, a nice job with its dice. The big variance is in the lowest level dice, the white dice. You have half sides missing and half sides hitting, but there's tons of ways to like reroll and stuff in that. Sure. But then, if I remember right, I think the yellow dice were mostly like ones, and then maybe one, two, and the red dice were all hits. Uh, Burn Cycle had a similar thing with their dice, where it's actually, I really like Burn Cycle's system. You remember this, Peter? Where like, what was it in Burn Cycle? The lowest dice. They had miss faces, but you could turn two misses into a hit or save them for your next roll. So it was like kind of like an um, immediate mitigation of bad rolls and a choice. I don't choice. remember that. I remember yeah, the well, two that, into a hit, but I don't remember the like they were half hits again. Yeah. So the big thing with Burn Circle was you had to use all of your num- dice that had numbers, but you didn't have to use the zeros, but you could turn two of them into a one. So the worst roll gave you the most choices while the best roll forced you to exhaust all those dice and not have them for a later action. So yeah, I, I think do there's remember cool that. Ways. Yeah. Yeah. Now I do remember that. And, and that that's a system that does not in itself entail extra token. Actually, I, I think that's a great system, although it's kind of requires like a dice pool mechanic, but that's a system that doesn't need like extra health or tokens for the enemies. It doesn't need extra health or like tokens for you you are just managing the dice themselves and having inherent mitigation and in how the dice work. So that's another kind of cool one to throw in the mix. So was, I'm actually de- developing a new dice system in my own mind. <laughs> like <laughs> As we're talking, that's why we have these discussions. Like, I think there's so many cool things that can be done with dice in the future too. Like we were talking about a, a second ago, what if you just had one dice, maybe two, 
like, and you choose your best or choose your worst, you know, advantage, disadvantage, mm-hmm. whatever, that either flipped the enemy over or defeated it or defeated it and you get a benefit as a critical, or maybe and there's a critical fail where you don't flip it at all or you flip it, but something bad happens to you, right? Right. So there could be as simple a system as that where you're using just one die face to do all this, no health tracking, no none of that. You know, so even though there's some great stuff out there right now, I think there's more potential for great stuff in the future as well. Dice have not seen their limit. And as dice become cheaper to produce, especially like D8s, things like that. I know we had a game we were trying to develop 10 years ago that was using a bunch of D8s. they, They laughed at us, like custom D8s. But now it's like not a thing, right? You could definitely make that game nowadays. Yeah, I've seen custom D12s in games recently, like random stuff you would never have expected back in the day. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there is a lot more possibility to do it. I mean, people are changing out die faces now, right? So there's like a huge possibility for leveling up dice and doing all of these things that we couldn't do years ago. And trust me, we had designed some stuff with the leveling up dice. Uh, Same game, in fact. But like... You know, now you can just do it so much easier than you ever could in the past. So while there's some cool stuff out there right now, I think the possibilities are endless for what we can do in the future as well. And especially with like some kind of a dice leveling type system, I still want to see a cool combat game that does that. But I think even when dice are not leveled, like at the beginning of the game, like you're using weaker dice, you know, that get better to get better, better, better. I still think you want to avoid misses as much as possible. Well, yeah, like, so like, just um, to jump in on that. Yeah. So I'm not going to name the game because it's not, it, it's a preview copy and I don't know if things will change. And I'm not sure if I'm going to do a video for it because disclosure, I say this a lot, but just for those who don't know, I generally don't do crowdfunding previews for games I don't like because I don't want to ruin somebody's like Kickstarter dream when we've been like small creators on Kickstarter with our games and games change, games like get developed differently. That's why I, I save my negative reviews for published games. And if it's a game on crowdfunding, I hate, I'll just be like, Hey, I'm sending it on to the next person. Sorry. I'm not doing a video for this one. So I'm probably not doing a video for this one, but yeah, this, this game, I hate misses, especially when you spend resources on it. (laughs) This game has, you only have two actions a turn. It is very expensive to get the resource you need to attack people. And this game has you attacking people rolling a D6, and depending on the enemy, you might miss one-sixth of the time. You might miss two-sixths of the time or more, and you lose the action, but you also lose all the resources you spent to attack. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Like you just cost me like three rounds because I rolled badly. Like, Please don't do that, games. Well, actually, I mean, City of the Great Machine, as much as I enjoy it, that's the one thing I think I am probably going to house rule. It was a mechanic where you only get one action for your entire turn, the entire round in that game. Now, the rounds are ultra fast, so it's not a big deal, but you only get one action. And again, you got to spend resources to attack a robot, and then you roll a die, and if you if what you roll is higher than the resources you spent, then you waste the action and the resources. <laughs> so yeah, I, I never loved that kind of thing. I think for any designers out there, especially in like a game where you want the players to have fun, if you're trying to crush them, hey, crush them. But if you want the players to have fun, Give them something when they fail. If well, they're spending resources to like do something and they fail, like give them the resources back at least, you know, like something. Well, and Oswarn um, did this, right? I think Oswarn was the first one that I remember doing this. Like when you fail a roll, they give you all the tokens back that you spent for that round and one more, right? They don't just give you your tokens back. They give right. you a benefit for failing because you've already wasted an action, right? So like don't 
give me insult to injury. And this is, I mean, let's talk about games that are overhyped or, or hyped up. What was it? Darkest Dungeon? Is that the one that we played recently? And I mean, I don't think anybody overhyped that. Well, no. <laughs> but... Isn't that the one Tom Vassell called his number one dungeon crawl of all time? Or am I thinking of... Oh, yeah, you're right. Well, you, I never listened to it. You said he did. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I, like, I find that an odd decision. <laughs> so the first time you ever played that game, you attacked an enemy with one. Now, to be fair, you have three actions and it didn't end up mattering in the long run. But oh, wait, you, no, you're, I'm sorry. You're talking about Massive Darkness. Massive Darkness. I'm sorry. Not That's Darkest a solid Dungeon. game. Darkest Dungeon, second edition. I was like, Tom Vassell called that his favorite dungeon. No, no, no I'm sorry. Sure? Massive Darkness. I apologize. All right. So starting back again, though, like you attack something with your first action or second action of the game and literally did zero damage and took three damage yourself. Like, as your action was to hurt yourself three, right? So not only did you basically waste the action because you did no damage, but you also took damage on your own turn. So those are the kind of things I I would try to avoid. Like, those negative, bad-feeling experiences. Now, look, some people are going to love that. And so you don't have to listen to us for everything, right? Like, everybody's got their own opinions. I was, we were just saying with Zimbo, we were talking back and forth about Gloomhaven a second ago. Like, Gloomhaven might not be in my top five, but that doesn't mean it's a bad game. It shouldn't make it yeah, worse I mean, for you. It's if clearly it's, incredibly popular. Right. I'm not saying you shouldn't like Gloomhaven. Like yeah. Gloomhaven as much as you want. <laughs> yeah, and I love Isaac. Like, I know, I've known Isaac before Gloomhaven came out, right? Like, he's a great guy. He's super fun. He and I play Gaia Project together all the time at these <laughs> cons. True. Actually, I got to reach out to him, see if he wants to play at this con. It's nothing against Isaac or the game. I just, for my taste, it wasn't... But I hate role-playing games, too. I think people who like role-playing games really tend to like Gloomhaven more than me because the leveling and everything else matches that same pace. Where for me, I need something faster paced. So those people might not like Tales from the Red Dragon Inn, right? Like people who don't want to feel like you're leveling up faster wouldn't like something like Adventure Tactics, Red Dragon Inn, uh, Oathsworn, some of my favorite games, like where you are getting constant leveling and you're feeling better and you have super cool combos. Some people aren't into that. Like I am very into tactical combat. Some people just want to roll a dice, resolve it, move on to the next part of the story or whatever. To me, I don't like that. All, all that to say that, yes, everybody's going to have their own preferences and some people might like the feeling of dread. So just because we're saying like, you shouldn't do this doesn't mean you really shouldn't do it. Just don't expect us to like your game if you do it that way. And we're not going to create games that make you, that have those feel bad moments. Right. Um, Yeah. And and it's funny you say that literally on our discord the other day, one of our users was like, Hey, can anybody suggest a game that gives me a feeling of dread? And like, we were talking about things like, uh, you know, gears of war. You shoot at the guy, <laughs> you miss, you're out of ammo, and you're like, oh, God, what am I going to do? Like, that, that is a cool experience. That, that is an experience yeah. you might seek out sometimes. Uh, it's not necessarily one I'm going to come back to over and over again, although I do love Arkham Horror LCG, and that's definitely a feeling of dread and desperation and, oh, God, oh, God, I'm going to die sometimes. So right. I don't know. But we're just going to respond to a few comments. So Zimbo said, uh, I find it strange people like ATO, that's Aeon Trespass Odyssey, so much, but call Sword and Sorcery Fiddly. I don't know anybody who's called Sword and Sorcery Fiddly and not said AT, uh, ATO is fiddly. I would say uh, Aeon Trespass Odyssey is way harder to get to the table and play than Sword and Sorcery. <laughs> I don't remember Sword and Sorcery yes. being like an especially challenging game to learn or play i I like ato way better than sword and sorcery well the hard Uh, part for sword and sorcery i don't know if you remember this or not but like 
enemies would get like level up cards so that would change like this one enemy is now an elite enemy and he has a special power under it. I thought that was fine. The cards slid underneath him. I thought that was actually a cool mechanic. There were things I loved about Sword and Sorcery and, and they actually had a Sword and Sorcery had a similar cooldown system to Tales from the Red Dragon Inn that I really enjoyed. Other things I didn't enjoy at all about it, but that part I did like. You know, we we also agree that Aeon Trespass Odyssey is complicated. I mean, oh, yeah. he says nearly unplayable. I don't think it's nearly unplayable. It's very no. playable. But, I mean, depending, right? Because everybody's different. So well, Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, if you found it unplayable, that's fine. And I will agree that there's a lot of keywords... The, the I, tutorial ends, and you're like, oh, I know how to play this. And then they throw, like, 50 more things at you. Or throw something that you learned, like, five missions ago back at you. And it's like, right. I don't know what this is at all. I, I don't find it unplayable. I find it very hard to get to the table. And I constantly have to look up rules in that game, which make it harder for me to get back to the table. I know you said it's going to be near your top games. My son, it's, like, his favorite game right now. But we still haven't played it in forever because, like, I don't want to relearn the rules and, and, and try to figure it out. Uh, Matthew said, I like Tom Bass, but having a favorite dungeon crawler to me is hilarious because he has said they're not his kind of game. I mean, I, I think it's still fine. Sure. Like, I will say that I like, I play a lot of dungeon crawlers and I'm like coming from a long history of playing like D&D. So I like kind of fantasy dungeon crawl RPGs in general. But certainly with me reviewing games and having to play things a lot, my interests have gone more towards streamlined and shorter campaigns and stuff. So Tales from the Red Dragon Inn being my favorite right now, is informed by that, but I still think I can have a favorite dungeon crawler. I, I, I just think it's important to say it's my favorite dungeon crawler and here's my situation. You know, if Tom Vassell says his favorite dungeon crawler is X, I, 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 he probably did explain this, Peter, in the review, I imagine. But like, why is it X? You know what I mean? Right. Like, Gloomhaven was my favorite dungeon crawler for a while, and that's because I was playing it solo and I love two-handing it and all the combos between the cards. When right. I was playing it with others and I got really frustrated with setting up the friggin' maps and <laughs> finding all the enemy decks and all that kind of stuff, unless I used uh, like one of the unofficial apps to make it run faster, like that's again my experience and that's like my situation. So getting let's let's finish off our dice conversation here. So I mean, everybody's experience is different, right? When it comes to dice. But the way we like it, and we talk to a lot of people who like co-op games, the way a lot of them have come back to us is that they like getting something for failing. So I I do think if you're going to put dice in your game now, but don't make experiences where not only is it negative, what you can get, something bad can happen. It's almost like, um, oh, uh, the the Ignacy game. Oh, uh, Robinson Crusoe. Robinson Crusoe. They're two uh, separate dice. Yeah, they're two separate dice. You could totally fail the mission, get nothing, and something bad could happen to you. I'm not a huge fan of that. I'm a huge fan. Well, like, but to be fair, he was also one of the first ones to do the Sadler Brothers thing where, like, you fail on the die, but you get two of those tokens to use your special powers. So, Sure. And, and those adventure cards are good for you sometimes, the question mark thing. So it's it's a bit more complicated than just you fail and get nothing. You know what I mean? But, yeah, but that is the reason that I bounced off that game was because, you know, anytime I failed and got a bad thing stood out right these these yeah. bad feel bad moments stand out in games rightly or wrongly and again your first experience with massive darkness was a very very bad and very low probability thing to happen yeah, absolutely but it did happen and it ruined your experience with the game from turn one right like so realize that people are going to bounce off your game without even giving it a try with these feel bad experiences so maybe if you are going to have them 
at least have some kind of tutorial system or something that like make sure it doesn't happen in their first game, right? Because people form opinions early on games nowadays, and you just you know, as we've been talking about all day, there's a million different games out there for people to play, and a million different people like a million different things. And so, like, you don't want to give people a reason to bounce off your game right away. Yeah, one more suggestion if you're designing a game with dice and you just want to give a little bit more power, give consistent mitigation options. Like, let them take damage to raise their dice up so they can make sure they succeed, that kind of thing. Or an alternative, uh, this is what we did in our first published design, uh, Salvation Road, have the action always succeed and the die is just informing the cost of the action. Yep, I like that. Like, you might do it and not get hurt or you might do it and take some damage. That way, you never get the full negative of, like, wasting an action, your turn not mattering, like, that sort of feeling behind it. But there's still variants, there's still things to celebrate and feel bad about, because you do want, in a game with randomness, you want that sort of, like, ebb and flow of good and bad feelings, right? You want the experiences to happen in there. But, yeah, I think having, like, something in there to take it away for me, but, you know, maybe not. Like Matthew Rosa said, I appreciate a pity reward, <laughs> which is clearly a different perspective on it, right? Like, yep. some people might see, like, a reward from a die and be like, I don't need that. You know, like, I failed. I, I'm, I'm going to fail. Next time I'm going to succeed. You know, like, so <laughs> it, it's, it's entirely going to be an optics thing, but, yeah. yes. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, I think what we've come up with today is that we're not ag- going to agree on everything. <laughs> sure. <laughs> That is uh, that is the bottom line. But, but but hopefully for those designers out there, at least like there's some things to consider with your dice. Yes, absolutely. Because because you need to know what your game is evoking. Like yes. uh, Zimbo said, Nemesis was ruined for me because I kept dying 20 to 30 minutes of the game. Some people might be like, that's what I wanted in Nemesis. You know what I mean? It's right. modeled after Alien and Aliens and it's supposed to be desperate. And, you know, I, I want to celebrate the one in 10 games that I win. Not, you know, not that Nemesis is necessarily that hard. So maybe that fits your game. But it, like, for example, if you're designing a kids cooperative game and I don't know, you get to do like one thing on your turn and 50% of the time you fail at that thing and nothing happens. I feel like for your audience and the emotion you're going for, you might be like failing with the die mechanic in that case. So like, what, what, what do you want out of it? What experience do you want your players to have? Yeah. Do you want them to feel desperate or elated? You know, Tales from the Red Dragon Inn went for elated, went for, like, it is fun to roll the dice and good things will happen, not like you're not going to groan generally. But that might not be what you want for your game. So just kind of consider the experience you're going for. And dice are still a great randomizer for combat, right? Like, even if you use traditional fit, miss and or uh, hit and miss options, it's still a great randomizer overall for a game. Um, sure. We're just talking about our preferences and there does need to be randomness you know i think again because there's less randomness with the dice results here they made it more random with the initiative system same thing that happened with um and again there's no dice in this game but aeon's end because you're not shuffling your deck every time there had Mm -hmm. to be some randomness so they're adding randomness in the you know initiative uh order or whatever so there does need to be randomness especially in a co-op game because, like, you don't have the other person on the other side of the table that you're trying to outthink the whole time. Right. And if you do, then it becomes like Andor, which is just very puzzly. But, like, the puzzle is the same every time you play it. At the end of the day, if there's no randomness, like, there, ha- you know, the game will get samey or, or stale after a while, I feel like. So, yeah. And, and dice definitely do that. So, again, you don't want that, that window to be too small with the randomness of the dice. But... 
if you want people to not feel bad, you also don't want to give them like one hit in a 20 sided dice and then like <laughs> have them sit there all day. Play. Why is your game four hours? Cause I can't hit the thing. That's why. <laughs> And it can't hit me either. So, like, yeah, I'm elated, I guess, 19 out of 20 times when I'm <laughs> defending. But, yeah, you don't want that to be the case either because it just extends your game for no reason. So, right, right. Yeah. All right. Bottom line is I think we've got some good thoughts here. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Very active discussion today. And uh, we will see you all in a couple weeks with our Gen Con recap. But Yay, Gen Con. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Hey, Mike. Yeah. I like to crawl through dungeons. I like the movie Crawl. Ooh, Crawl was a good one with the yeah thing. Yeah, the thing like the star shaped thing that like had a lot of knives coming out of the end of it. The glaive, I think it was called. Did they ride like fire horses to like get to a teleporting castle? Oh, I have not seen that movie in a long time. (laughs) I am not going to get any of the answers to your questions. Crawl, good movie. Go check it out.